Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. We spend about one third of our life doing it or attempting to do it. I'm talking about sleeping. Sleep is one of the most important pillars of health, longevity, and peak performance. And research shows it's not the number of hours of sleep that we get that matters most. If we want to be more productive, stronger, and happier, we need to focus on optimizing the quality of our sleep. Amongst other, high-quality sleep helps improve brain function, protects our heart, balances our hormones, fights fat, and boosts athletic performance. Half of all people in America say they suffer from insomnia, and millions are using prescription medications for sleep. Sadly, those pills have a long list of side effects and don't address the root problem of why people can't sleep in the first place. That's why I'm very excited today to speak to Susan Byrne, an expert on sleep and peak performance. Suzanne has been implementing effective fatigue management programs with professional and high-performance athletes and teams for a decade. She has worked with sports teams in major leagues around the world, including the NBA, NHL, and NFL, in addition to multiple university, Olympic, and national teams. Suzanne herself is a former NCAA volleyball player and award-winning athlete. She has recently co-authored the groundbreaking book, Inconvenient Sleep, Why Teams Win and Lose, to help educated readers on the importance and complexities of sleep and how sleep affects performance. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the Superhumanized podcast today to talk about all things sleep. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. The field of sleep science has always been fascinating to me because I'm very well aware of how impactful sleep is to our general. How did you first get into this field and what fascinates you most about it? So I got into this field because of my father. We had a family tragedy, which led my father onto a new path of sleep and sleep science and sleep research to try to figure out ways to prevent people from falling asleep at the wheel, basically. Through that, he came across some technology uh, that was developed in the US military and would not stop talking about it. As we're sitting at home, night after night, instead of watching TV, we're talking about sleep. And so through him, really, I this is how I got into it. And it's always fascinated me as well, obviously, as a former athlete, how to better my performance and all of that sort of thing. That's how I got into it. And what fascinates me the most is that it's so new. This field literally just started. They just started sleep research in 1940. One of the founding researchers, William Dement, who helped determine what your sleep stages are, 
just passed away this this past summer. So to give you a kind of an idea of really how new this field is, which means there's so much more to know and and it's exciting to find out. Yes, I know in your book, Inconvenient Sleep, I think it's chapter two, you actually go into the history of the study of sleep and sleep science. And like you said, it just started in the 1940s. You actually also span a fascinating period of time of how all the other sciences advanced from 2,400 years ago with Hippocrates, the father of Western medicine, the rainbow studies of Sir Isaac Newton's the discovery of x-rays in 1895 and the first EEG, and then going into sleep studies. And that this is such a relatively new field, if you think about how important sleep is in everyone's life, is a a little bit inconceivable for me. Why do you think it took so long for us to really pay attention to this? I have no idea. I remember, I believe it was William DeMent, but I could be wrong, who said, as far as we know, still to this day, the only reason we sleep is because we get very sleepy. And, and I think it took really Hans Berger's EEG research back in the 1930s to pave the way to even realize what's going on in the brain while you're awake or while you're asleep, which helped start the sleep studies to begin with in the 1940s. But yes, I agree with you. <laughs> Definitely late to the game. <laughs> in sleep science. Maybe also something to do with the cultural conceptions that we have about or have had. Now we're getting more and more aware of how important sleep is, but this kind of a notion that's attached to sleep, liking sleep, uh, wanting to sleep, maybe something like laziness, or if you don't feel well enough due to a lack of sleep, even fessing up to it can be seen as a sign of weakness. So all of these misconceptions that we culturally, socially have, I think we're unraveling those now and hopefully getting on a better path to really help provide for animation and the tools we need for everybody getting a good sleep. Yes, I agree completely. The importance of sleep to people in their daily lives has definitely um, increased in significance in the past 10 years, even. You can see it on the market. The biggest sellers are wearables. How much am I sleeping? How long am I sleeping? What's going on with this? It's definitely at the forefront of most people's minds. Unfortunately, school, it's not taught in school. And even in med school, it's not taught that much. So there is a lot of misconceptions about it. I know one of the hardest parts for us as consultants is when clients come to us saying they have a problem, it's breaking down their misconceptions and to be able to explain to them what is right and what is wrong and why what they're asking or what they're thinking doesn't align with the research right now. I'd love to talk in more detail about this with you. You co-founded with your father, the uh, fatigue consulting company, Burn Fatigue Consulting. Everybody who's interested can check it out at Burn slash co.com, B-Y-R-N-E slash co.com. I also put that in the show notes. But what are the biggest misconceptions that people are dealing with regards to sleep right now? What are you most commonly faced with when taking on new clients? There's two things. We get a lot of questions about, is the mattress I'm buying correct? Should my baby be sleeping here? Or stuff that, honestly, there isn't a lot of research on, there is no research about mattresses, whether they work for you, or whether you don't. At the end of the day, you need to be comfortable. And the second one is, hi, I have a sleep disorder or hi, I can't do this. I can't do that. Please fix me. It's like, okay, let's step back for a second. So your symptom is you're not sleeping. 
Mm-hmm. But what is the cause? You're asking me to fix a symptom when we don't know what the cause is yet. And so that's definitely the number one question that we get and misconception for sure. And I think it's also because a lot of people think uh, that in order to sleep better, they, they just need to get a good mattress. They need to get to bed earlier or stop looking at their electronic devices, let's say an hour before bed. That's all good stuff, but it really is not as simple as that. Please explain to our listeners who may not be acquainted with it, what the difference in quality of sleep is and uh, also sleep cycles. Yes, absolutely. There is no quick fix. Sleep cycles are determined by your brain. So you actually have no control over them. Traditionally or typically, your sleep will go in 90-minute stages and you'll go through light sleep, deep sleep, and REM sleep up at the end. This is why when we recommend people napping for 20 minutes or an hour and a half intervals so that you're not waking up groggy. However, I would say most of the population doesn't fall under the typical. So for instance, if you're sleep deprived because you were working late all week and then you sleep Friday night and you get to sleep in, your brain isn't going to go straight to REM sleep. It's going to go, okay, I've been missing deep sleep. So let's get a whole bunch of this and then we'll get to the REM sleep cycles. So there is a typical, but doesn't apply all the time. On top of that, there's many reasons we're not sleeping. It could be you have a biological sleep disorder. There's over 90. It could be you have a mental health disorder. There's over 300 of those. You could have an organic disease, whether that be diabetes or something like that. Lifestyle issues, (laughs) you're out late partying or one night or two nights or way too many nights of the week. You have an injury that is keeping you awake. You're taking medications that are affecting your sleep, sleep environment. You're not practicing proper sleep hygiene. It's not dark. It's not quiet. And on top of that, there could be a combination of factors also that has to do with that. Sleep is not simple. Trying to go to bed earlier doesn't always work. And often it's really not your fault in a sense. It's not necessarily something you do or don't do in your daily life. It may just be that you're dealing with some conditions you're not even aware of. Superhumanize. I'm really fascinated by this. So if I came to you as a client and I'm telling you I can't sleep, so this is my symptom, how do you go about finding out where the root cause act or the root causes actually are? What are the technologies, the tests, disposal nowadays that you can use with clients to help them get better? Quite a few different things. I know a very common one that we don't use is sleep questionnaires, mostly because you can't accurately tell how well you're sleeping when you're the one that's asleep. What we generally do, especially with our sports clients, who it's just not practical for them to go to a polysomnography sleep lab and get their sleep tested, is we'll put an actigraph on them. What an actigraph is, a medical grade, I should probably state, we'll put a medical grade actigraph on the, the player. And that measures motion. It will be able to tell you when you're awake and when you're asleep with up to about 90% accuracy. Obviously, if you're just sitting there watching Netflix and not moving, it's probably going to think that you're asleep. It's not the most, the best, but it is the best we have at the moment. So we'll generally start with that and we'll try to get at least a few days of data. Two weeks is best. Sometimes we can cut it down to one where when we look for patterns. So we're trying to see, okay, if you have a sleep disorder, your sleep will generally look like this and you will probably never have one solid night of sleep. And once we actually have some data to look at, we'll be able to help the player out and funnel them into the right direction. So maybe you do need to go 
to polysomnography and get diagnosed for a biological sleep disorder. Maybe you need to go talk to a psychiatrist. Further testing needs to be done. There is also medicine is going online and becoming more AI. There is an AI program. There's quite a few, but one that I know about in particular, which is called SleepAvail, which is deals with symptom symptomology. And so it will diagnose your sleep issues by asking you an incredible amount of questions. But even then, sleep research is so new, there might not be a solution for your problem, mm. or at least one that you like. One of the hardest conversations we have to have with our clients is, okay, you have a problem. It's like an injury, you're used to a quick fix. And that's not the case when it comes to sleep, especially if you have some sort of underlying condition. And it's not just sleep hygiene, or you need to be educated more to get into a better sleep hygiene pattern. That's very interesting. I was not aware that depending on what the underlying condition is, that it could actually take a long time to fix it. What also really is interesting or rather concerning nowadays, we're currently seeing a huge rise in insomnia, also of course tied uh, to the current events, what we're dealing with on the entire planet right now. What is insomnia? Like what's the definition of that? And when it's stress-related, like it may be for most of people now newly experiencing it, what are the best ways to tackle that? Insomnia is the inability to fall and stay asleep. However, it is probably the most common self-diagnosed sleep disorder. What we tell everybody is if you're chronically unable to fall asleep or stay asleep, then you need to go be diagnosed by a medical expert. For people whose insomnia is related to stress, the world has just been a stressful place lately and watching all the news and keeping up with all of that. COVID as well. And there is no one fix. I think everybody needs to find out what works for them as a stress relief. Is it, are you meditating before you go to bed? Are you stretching? Are you giving, your time, giving yourself time to decompress before you go to bed? If you really do have insomnia, they're using um, what's called cognitive behavioral therapy to help basically retrain your brain. And that's been somewhat successful for sure. With athletes, we have this problem when you're playing a game in front of hundreds of thousands of fans, which it's not happening right now, but nevertheless, you get so hyped up and games are often at night, especially basketball, hockey. And on average, it probably takes them about five hours to fall asleep after a game. One of the things that you can help with that is by breathing exercises. We actually got the chance to work with Dr. Leonard Zakowski, who's known as the grandfather of sports psychology, when we were working with the Canucks. And we were able to show that the breathing techniques he was doing with the players helped get them to sleep faster consistently after games. It is stuff to do out there, but you need to find out what works for you if it's not a biological sleep disorder that's causing your insomnia. If it's stress, what works for you? For me personally, I work out, but breathing techniques for sure, meditation, calming yourself down in whatever way works for you. Alcohol, marijuana, not the best. They do interrupt your sleep stages and mess those up which doesn't result in the best quality of sleep. So I definitely not recommend those if you're trying to increase the quality of your sleep. You have a very practical approach also and practical solutions. In your book, you also make a very compelling argument for athletes, like you just said, to approach sleep the same way they approach their strength training, the conditioning, learn the basics and then create something that works for you based on what 
type of problem you actually have and avoid the simplistic solutions, work hard and commit to success. So integrate certain practices, like you just said, from the breathing to the meditation. There's many other tools out there nowadays that are getting, whether it's sleep products, whether it's sleep devices. Of course, there's also a lot of things that don't work. Do you have certain things that you can say, yes, I absolutely highly recommend going this route, use this type of technology or device to help you, or these types of supplements? Are there things that you think are pretty straightforward and can realistically help you quantify getting better quality of sleep? Unfortunately, no. All of the gadgets or supplements out there are Band-Aid solutions. We talk about one in particular in the book, which is Psalm Sleep, which is a drink that supposedly has melatonin and B12 or B6 or different things that are supposed to help you sleep. The issue with supplements, even something as common as melatonin, there's just not enough scientific research out there to prove that it helps and to prove that it doesn't have any negative consequences. Even with melatonin, there there are studies showing that it helps you get to sleep 11 minutes faster. Great. Question mark. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure how that is helpful. And then on top of that, you have the idea that sleep latency, which is the time it takes you to fall asleep, is basically a made up construct. There is no objective time that you start to fall. The kind of the way to look at it is, well, I woke up this morning at 8am. So technically from 8am until the time I fall asleep is how long it took me to fall asleep. If if you think about it that way, there is no objective, it doesn't exist. So unfortunately, with those things, no, there is no medicine you can take otherwise prescribed by a doctor to help you sleep that is holistic. An issue that we've come across a lot is the anxiety that people are having when looking at sleep data that they're collecting, whether it's from whatever wearable they're using. And we often equate what you're looking at with sleep data to what you're looking at when you stand on a weight scale. It will tell you where you're at, but it will not tell you how to do better. And on top of that, I should actually qualify that actographs that you can buy in the market are not the most accurate. And there is still no actograph to date that can tell you what sleep stage you're in accurately. We just remind all of our clients that your sleep is determined by your brain and your brain is not on your wrist. Stop freaking out that you didn't get enough REM sleep or that this, you can't control it anyway. Even if you know what's happening, you can't control that. That's your brain. Unless you delve into something like you mentioned before, the uh, cognitive therapy, which I guess helps you rewire your brain. Can you let us know a little bit more about that? That is more of a psychiatry. It's more so to do with the mental side, not necessarily the sleep and the sleep stages. So different areas who would actually tackle that in case you have some mental disorder you're dealing with, or or just a condition in in order to relieve uh, the symptom of sleeplessness. Superhumanize. Since this is such a new science, comparatively, what is the state of um, sleep research right now? And also, what do you think we can expect? Let's say in the next 10, 20 years, what's on the horizon right now? What exciting things can we expect? Oh, goodness. I think we, we wrote an entire book about where we're at with, with sleep. So it's hard to sum, summarize that. But basically, right now, we're at the infancy stages. We get a lot of questions that just don't have concrete answers. There 
is a lot of studies coming out on a day-to-day basis that it, it's very hard to keep up with. Where it's going, I, I have no idea. There's just so much unknown. I've, I've often been asked, you know, as women, do we need to sleep more? My kid is sleeping only six hours or is sleeping 12 hours. Is this okay? Is this normal? We don't have those answers. It's actually an interesting question you bring up. What is your take on that or personal take on that, of course, but especially with regards to women, do we actually need more sleep? I personally need a lot of sleep. From my subjective point of view, yes, because I would like everyone else to sleep as much as I do. But even pro athletes, as an athlete, do you need more sleep than someone who's at a desk job? We don't have that answer. It, it really is so individualized. And also another interesting thing is a lot of people report that as they get older, you know, past their 50s, 60s, that they actually sleep less or even need to sleep less. How, what's behind that? You wish you would have to sleep less when you're younger and you have so much on your plate and so much to do and still feel great, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't. And then after retirement, oh, all of a sudden you feel like you don't need to sleep as much anymore and you still feel great. <laughs> yeah, that's just if your brain is has just decided that is it really. It, we don't to my knowledge there isn't even a specific explanation for that. It's just an observance that has been taken by the National Sleep Foundation as gold. The things that you learned and the things that you apply from working with some of the top performers in the world such as elite athletes, how Can we, normal folks who are just looking to better our circumstances and daily lives, how can we apply some of that to our lives? You give a really great rundown of some of these things in your book, which I highly recommend to read. But what can somebody do? You're a single hardworking mom, or you're a high achiever in the business world. What are some of the practices that we should really incorporate, even as just one or two, that will have a cascade of good effects on our sleep and performance? So this is where sleep hygiene comes into play. And sleep hygiene is all about creating a schedule and sticking to it and creating an environment where you can sleep. So for instance, don't do work in your bed if that's where you're going to sleep. Don't get used to that being a place of work. One of the most important things we tell athletes is make sure your room is so dark that if you hold your hand in front of your face, you can't see it. And that's how dark it should be. Often when they travel on the road with hotels and everything, they're putting towels in front of the, in front of the light coming through from the hallway. They have night lights, so they don't have to turn the light on when they go to the bathroom in the night. So that's very important. It's also important that your area where your sleep is quiet and it's comfortable, whatever that means to you, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, anything that you can apply the most important is to try to keep a schedule for sure, because your brain gets used to it. You'll set your circadian rhythm and, and everything will flow from there. But otherwise, it's sleep hygiene. And if that's not working, seek help. And speaking about keeping a schedule, some of us travel a lot. I usually travel a lot for work and also for pleasure. Dealing with jet lag. One of my favorite things to take, and that really helps me personally, but that's me and my biology, is melatonin. However, what can we do when we actually can't keep a regular schedule? We might find ourselves two, three nights in a row in one place, but then we're headed to the next and maybe even a different time zone. 
Jet lag is again, not a simple answer. Unfortunately, (laughs) there was a study done, and I believe it was published in 2020 that said, we still don't have enough information to advise athletes in regards Mm -hmm. to jet lag. And it was a meta-analysis. So they looked at everything that was out there. There just isn't. It also depends on which time, which way you're going. Are you going to the East Coast or are you going to the West Coast? Sometimes you need to take melatonin to reset, but don't keep using it. We try not to recommend supplements ever just because they are highly addictive. We have advised people in the past. Scheduling is something that is one of our components, I should say, of our programs with professional teams. But it's okay, we know at what time, in what time zone you're expected to perform your best. Mm -hmm. So based on that, we will work backwards. And we will be able to tell you, okay, you should try to get to sleep an hour earlier if you can, or you should sleep in on this day to maximize your performance down the road. Another thing too, unrelated to Jet Lake really, but when teams have back-to-back games, you're not able to get the amount of sleep that you need to recover fully. But one night of bad sleep isn't going to kill you or isn't going to hurt you, I should say. So what we recommend is maximizing your sleep up until that point. And then you have one bad night of sleep, the effects are less drastic on that second game day. Something that's interesting. So if you have a team, you have a lot of different individuals with different needs. So for somebody who actually coaches or manages a team, to be able to make sure each of these individuals gets the right type and amount of sleep for them, which of course also the players have a personal responsibility, but I imagine that's quite a job. And similarly, if you think about somebody who has a big family, what is the best way to actually help whoever are the members of your team or your family uh, to make sure that everybody gets what they need? My dad loves to say that in our household, we have a saying that sleep is good. By that, he means when you're tired, your body is telling you, you need sleep, whether that be a nap. If you have a big family and you have a two-year-old that needs to, to nap, let them nap, give them the space and the opportunity to do that. As a general rule, teenagers stay awake later and sleep later in the day. Allow them to do that. Don't book a 6 a.m. flight. Otherwise, you're going to have some pretty grouchy teenagers on that trip with you. Excellent advice and something I wish my parents would have done back in the day. (laughs) Suzanne, I've heard you speak about renorming. So let's say one of these big, tough CEOs saying, yeah, I just sleep for three hours. That's all I need. What do you have to say about that? I have to say that they subjectively are correct and objectively incorrect. So there is a concept of renorming, which is basically that your sleep deprivation becomes normal to you. So you no longer feel tired. You no longer feel out of whack. This is just your new normal. Um, Your brain does not relate back to the days when you were getting eight or nine hours of sleep. Whenever we do hear this, we say, you want to prove that by taking a reaction time test? (laughs) Because unfortunately, those objective results will not line up with your subjective theory of what's going on. Right. Because what you're doing and just because your brain has normalized it in a sense does not mean that it's good for your body or your psyche. It will have short term and especially also really bad, potentially bad long-term effects. So there's, uh, it's uh, to pride yourself upon being able to function on three hours of sleep. It's not really something to be proud of. 
Agree completely. And it's likely also not something we should subject high performers to that really need to function well. I mean, it makes sense as part of a training, let's say in the military, you need to function under high pressure and stress and sleep deprivation, but it shouldn't be the normal thing if you have to perform. Absolutely. There's a question I ask every guest I have the pleasure to speak with on this podcast, and it is, what are the practices that have in a positive way affected your life the most, whether it's mentally, physically, or spiritually? As a former athlete, it's three things. So it's prioritize sleep, eat healthy, and try to work out. And I've had to unfortunately recently add a fourth thing, which is um, be patient with yourself when you don't do the above three. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Excellent advice for stress reduction. Uh, If people want to reach out to you, how can they best connect with you, Suzanne? Through the website is probably the easiest. Otherwise, I'm personally on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of that. That's Suzanne Byrne? Yes. Actually, it's Byrne Sports Law is my Twitter handle. But my LinkedIn is Suzanne Byrne. Yes. Excellent. I'll make sure to also mention all of that in the show notes. Suzanne, it's really been a pleasure talking to you and learning some fascinating things about the ever-evolving study of sleep. Thank you for being on the Superhumanized podcast. Thank you so very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Evolution.